Good morning to you. We've got breath in our lungs and we've got praise in our hearts. And so uh, welcome to Grace Bible Church this morning. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. Today we're delighted to have you as we enter into the Christmas season here. Glad to uh, be entering the celebration. Remember the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we uh, we look forward to this this season and time where we uh, think of the Lord and remember uh, His humility and taking on upon Himself the form of a man and. And coming that we might behold the glory of the living God. So uh, well, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Um, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. So you can turn your Bibles and devices there if you'd like. And uh, we'll look uh, at verses uh, 7 through 13 this Sunday. So uh, that's our text this morning. Father in heaven, uh, heavenly Father, uh, show us... Uh, your ways and teach us your paths and lead us in your truth and teach us for you are the God of our salvation. It is on you that we wait all the day long and how blessed we are uh, that our transgressions have been forgiven and our sin is covered by our Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross of Calvary. How blessed we are that you do not impute to us our iniquities and you uh, that our spirits, uh, it would be without guile before you uh, that we can be exposed to you as a holy God and your uh, mercies have been extended through Christ Jesus and his work on the cross of Calvary. You are our hiding place. You have not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And if you should mark iniquity, O God, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We thank you that we are not under the law, but that we are under the law of faith. We put our trust in you because you are our salvation. You are our help. You are our wisdom. And you are our strength and our deliverer. Open our eyes to see your word and your will. Open our ears to hear and our understanding to comprehend the things that we need this morning in accordance with your word and your will for our lives. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you'll turn those Bibles to... Romans chapter 7, I'd like to begin by reading the scripture this morning. I'll read out loud, you follow along, um, and we'll pick up with verse uh, 7 there. Um, I tell you what, let's go back to verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. And our text this morning, beginning with verse 7, What shall we say then is the lost sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me the coveting of every kind, for apart from the law sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result 
in death for me. For sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me. May it never be. Rather it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, and through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Okay, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning, and uh, let's take a look at this passage of scripture. Uh, The question that's raised here is, is the law good? Uh, If all of these things, and and law has uh, brought us to this place of the acknowledgement and and seeing uh, sin in our lives and the things that that Paul has spoken of in Romans 6 and 7 here, the question that would rightfully be asked by uh, the Pharisees and those uh, Jewish people that know and embrace the law, they would they say, well, is, are you saying that the law is, is not good? Uh, the Jew might ask, uh, are we then to suppose that the holy law of God is not, uh, is not only insufficient to sanctify us, but that it is the mere occasion of increased sin? It is its tendency to produce sinful passions and to make men worse than they were before. That's kind of the, the thinking that Paul is addressing in these verses. Um, and what we find here is that Paul basically says that the law is, is that which God sent for the diagnosis of our uh, sinful nature. Uh, the problem that mankind has with sin, that that the Apostle Paul is addressing and that the Lord, uh, as he, he came in, in his ministry here on earth, uh, he, he wanted to go directly to the heart uh, from which springs the sins that is, is mankind's problem. Um, and there's a, a diagnosis that the law brings to us. And of course that diagnosis has already been explained here in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. It's separation from God. And spiritual death means uh, that divorcement from our Creator, our holy God and Creator. Uh, So in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul asks the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So he addresses kind of the what we call the antinomian. The antinomian means that he's against the law. Um, and um, he addressed that issue. In chapter 7, he begins to address the, the legalist idea. And you'll remember that the, uh, the Judaizers that, that uh, came behind the Apostle Paul to many of the churches that he went to and shared the gospel that these Judaizers came in and said, well, you've got to be circumcised and you have to uh, observe the Sabbath and you have to put yourself under the law. And the Apostle Paul is, has described and defined the, the reality that, that we're not under the law uh, and that sanctification, living the Christian life, is not accomplished by keeping the law. And along with that, uh, is that it's not accomplished by human works or by the energies of the flesh at all. That it's necessary for us to be born again. That there's, it's necessary for there to be a transformation. And I want to pose this question to you by way of introduction here. Uh, we, we see earlier in this chapter that Paul dealt with the sixth of the Ten Commandments, uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And here in these verses, he deals with the tenth one, Thou shalt not covet. And he addresses those and the impact they have. But but bear in mind that as Paul is explaining uh, both the gospel, our justification by God's grace through faith, and now our sanctification by God's grace through faith, that never anywhere in here does he say, keep the Sabbath. Now, keeping the Sabbath was the uh, initial 
um, it was the sign of the land covenant that was made with the Jews. Uh, so, but to the church, Paul does not instruct them. In fact, in other uh, passages of Scripture and other of his letters, he warns against uh, their their acknowledgement. They're putting themselves under uh, the Sabbath. Okay, so uh, here again are, are things that that some that many Christians don't know. The Sabbath is Saturday. It begins in Israel. If you go to Israel. 6 p.m. Friday night begins the Sabbath, and it goes to 6 p.m. Saturday night. That's when they observe the Sabbath. But the Christian church does not observe the Sabbath because it's not under the law. And these other areas uh, that would be involved in sanctification, Acts chapter 15, was uh, it was addressed by the apostles and by the apostle Paul and in, in going uh, with in regard to the Christian, the Gentile church, uh, and they were uh, they made it very clear that the Gentiles and the church was not to be placed under the old covenant, Old Testament law. Um, and so these are the things that the apostle Paul is addressing here. Let's look at verse seven, and we'll look at the question here: Is the law sin? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Again, the tenth commandment is given here. The Apostle Paul is saying that the law had a, a place, and that place basically, again, is the the title for our sermon this morning, Good Diagnosis. It diagnoses the problem that's in the human heart. And it leads us to what? It leads us to the realization that we need a Savior, that we needed for Jesus Christ to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He's way more than a crutch. He is our life. He's, he's, he's the very life that we have and that has been given to us by God himself, by our very creator. Our redeemer came. He took upon himself flesh. He became the lamb of God to bear our sin on the cross of Calvary. And God made he who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're completely, utterly dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon His work and His work alone for our justification before a holy God. There's no other way. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how many different kinds of religion there are and how many ways that man has tried to get there, only through Jesus Christ, uh, He who descended from heaven and will ascend there uh, ascended to be at the Father's right hand, uh, it's only through that person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that created all things, and for his sake all things, the Scripture tells us, are and were created. So in this verse then, we find that the question is, what shall we say then? Paul is, is again thinking through uh, the Christian legalism or the, the Pharisaic legalism and its impact on these areas. Now, I want to say this. There's different views about this passage. Uh, some see this passage as going back to Paul's childhood where he's, he's, uh, he comes to a, a period of time of accountability where the law takes a, effect and he's brought under the conviction of sin. Um, I think, and I would hope that that with our trek through the book of Romans here, that you would recognize that Paul has moved from justification by God's grace, by Christ's grace through faith, to sanctification by God's grace through faith. So Paul is addressing. I believe here, it's my understanding, and, and what I would teach is that Paul is addressing sanctification as a Christian. And the battle that Christians fight 
when the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, when the new man and the new person in Christ Jesus is exposed to the realities uh, that, that we under Adam, uh, that this body of sin and death must die. It must physically die because it will always carry that. It is necessary for our bodies to be resurrected, for us to receive new bodies and be delivered from uh, this sin. But in the meantime, in regard to sanctification, the power of God, the grace of God is manifested in our lives by the law of faith. And, and these, these processes are worked out whereby just in the same way that God supernaturally saved us and justified us to, uh, before himself, he is also sanctifying us by his grace through faith. And this process that we're going through is called sanctification. And that's the subject that is addressed in chapter 7. And there's some really good things. We're going to take a break from Romans chapter 7 these next few weeks. And we'll have to come back to it after the first of the year. Uh, but we're right at a really pretty critical point. Uh, in regard to our sanctification, and I'll look forward to, to getting back uh, to the end of this chapter where some really significant things are said to us and needful things that are said to each one of us in regard to living and walking before the Lord. So the question then is, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Uh, and, and Paul makes it very clear. May it never be. It's, it's really... Uh, very uh, just an adamant declaration that the law is not sin. The law, uh, of course, as he says later, is holy and just and good. Um, but uh, I would, uh, on the contrary, I would have come to know. I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting. So he goes directly to the law to uh, to describe and to explain. Uh, that it is not sin, but that it is the, the diagnosis of sin uh, that God gave, and it is good. He's, he's not uh, wanting to uh, in any way put down uh, the law. So the law is not sin, but the law, what does it do? It reveals sin. He said, I didn't know I was coveting except that the law said you're coveting. And so what is it saying there? The desire for what is forbidden uh, that the Scripture teaches us uh, in the garden. Uh, the desire for what is forbidden is the first conscious form of sin, right? Uh, it's that deceit, uh, that, that question that, that, that Satan put in Eve's mind. Uh, has God said this? Uh, uh, you know, you you shall shall not die, but you shall be. And so th this this whole deception and process of deception is something that the the law it it convicts and it reveals the deceit. It reveals what uh, is taking place. I would not have known it except that the law said, "Thou shalt not covet." And he found himself, oh. That, that the law said that, and what happens? Well, it, it awakens, it reveals uh, what is in his heart uh, because we have this amazing way to, to, to mentally um, deny it, that mental denial in that, that issue of deceit is something that's characteristic of all of us. It's characteristic of us even as believers. We can carry certain areas of sin with us uh, for, for many, many years. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, the Spirit of God, the Word of God convicts us of some area. And even at that, we often will ignore that or we'll, we'll uh, pack that away in, a, in such a way that we're, we're not dealing with what God has, um, His Holy Spirit has uh, enlightened us to. The Holy Spirit illumines us to His Word. And we need the Spirit of God. Uh, as, uh, just as we need the Word of God, we need the Spirit of God to bring it to life. It is alive and powerful. And it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
But the Holy Spirit has to do that work within us. And that's why in sharing the gospel and in teaching the word, you can, you can see a group of people and you'll see this one person over there. It just, it just simply doesn't come to roost. It, it doesn't impact them. There's no uh, conviction. There's no illumination to that truth. And this person over here, there's illumination. The light comes on. And, and the truth of that uh, is, is, it brings that, that reality, that conviction to our lives. So the law is not sin, but the law reveals sin. The law reveals sin. So on the contrary, I would not have come to know sin. It wouldn't have been revealed to me except through the law. Okay? And then the law commands that, that you shall not covet. The idea there is, is I would not have known about it except that the law said this. So Paul's just pointing out the goodness of the law, the, the purpose of the law. And God uh, sent it. He gave it. Remember that, that Moses, he, he cried out to the Lord. He said, show us your, your glory and teach us your ways. And, and this was the, the desire that God put in the hearts of the children of Israel when he gave them the law, when he gave them his word. They wanted to, to know, okay, God, what do, we, what do we have to do to live with you for you to, to uh, in the Shekinah glory there in the wilderness, uh, they had experienced judgment from God because of rejection of that light and that truth. So Moses asked, God, tell us what it is that we need uh, that we can live with you as a nation. And so God gave these uh, precepts and these commandments uh, to his people because he loved them and, and, and it was good. But it was not sufficient for our salvation, was it? Because something had to happen within us in a very powerful way by our Lord God. Uh, Romans 3.21 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the gospel comes, the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the new covenant comes, and the righteousness of God is manifested through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul say? He says, well, it's been witnessed by the law and by the prophets. God is... is in his graciousness, spoken to us. God in his mercies has given us uh, knowledge of his will. And it, it's been revealed to us. And these are the things from the scripture. So um, the law is, um, it reveals sin. And the 10th the commandment is one that is, uh, is typical for all of us uh, to realize that uh, what, uh, I think it's John 1, 7, it says, uh, if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not, with, not in us. And, uh, and that's because uh, the, the God's word, God's law, uh, illumines these, these things that are, that are in our old nature, in the Adamic uh, original sin nature that was imputed to us. And it was passed on to us through Adam. So let's look at verse 8 then. Uh, here we find, uh, But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So here we find that, that sin uh, taking opportunity through the commandment. So the commandment comes, this uh, thou shalt not covet comes, and, uh, and sin, so what's Paul doing? Well, he's turning the, the picture here. Uh, it's, not, it's not the sin. It's not the law. The law provokes sin. And the issue is the sin that is within us. So what is he going to, and, and again, we've, we've talked about this before, but remember that there's the, there, the, the use of the term sin often refers to the nature, the, the characteristic, the nature of sin that is within us and that original imputed sin from Adam. Sins are personal sins that we commit and that flows out of that sin that indwells us, that is within us. 
And he's addressing here that sin that is within us, that sin nature, that uh, that, that is after the likeness of, of our, our father, of Adam, and it was passed on to us. It was imputed to us from his account. So the law provokes sin. Uh, and then sin in me is responsible for entering temptation. Remember that the, the Lord prays uh, in the, the Lord's prayer that he gave to his disciples, lead us not into temptation. Um, and uh, he's, he told his disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. What is this concept or this idea of entering into temptation? Uh, and it, it's that battle that takes place in our lives with that which is provoked by the by the law and by God's word that says you're coveting. And uh, we can enter into temptation uh, as that conviction comes and, uh, and embrace those things. And, and that's why there's so many warnings in Scripture, right? Uh, God wants us to know the salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. He wants us to know sanctification and living the Christian life in that way uh, because we're alert and in dependence upon Him. Dependence, that faith in Christ, faith in God to save me. That's the key. It's the key to living the Christian life. So sin in me is responsible uh, for for uh, entering or for not entering into uh, uh, temptation, uh, and and it's it's a serious issue for us in regard to sanctification. Matthew six thirteen it says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know when we come to that place of of, of realization that it's by God's grace. And through our dependence upon Him, there's nothing that we can do except declare the glory of our Lord Jesus. The, the glory of our Savior. The glory of the power of God. The glory of His mercies and goodness and His, His character. We're proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As the, the, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, gives us victory over these areas of sin and areas of failure um, before our, our Lord. Uh, and I was, okay, so let's, let's look. So the, we, we know that the law reveals sin. We know that the law now provokes sin. It brings it uh, to, to light. <coughs> Excuse me. So in verse 9 it says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So there's this, this process here where the law uh, and, and God's word, uh, it, can, it, it brings to light. Uh, sin lies dormant uh, without the law, without this provoking. Uh, and, um, but, but what we find here is that in verse 9 is that the, the law convicts of sin, right? It it provokes it. it. It convicts of sin. It brings us to that, that realization. That's what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Without the law, there's no conviction of sin. There's no conviction of sin. So, so this, it reveals something that's, that's in our hearts, something that, we, that we're unaware of, something that we're deceived about. And then it provokes that. The, the law provokes it. it. It brings it about. And it brings conviction to us. It brings conviction to God is here. And, and I, this is what I'm doing. And, and, and it's offensive to my God and Creator. And this is a, 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 the mercies of God to us. And sometimes we just, you know, you can see a, a believer that's struggling with some area of sin. And they're just, they're downcast and Brought, but it's the first step. It's where God says, you need my salvation. You need uh, to trust. You need to, to rely upon the power of the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus, uh, not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but for that cleansing of all unrighteousness in your life. He is able to deliver you. God is able in Christ Jesus 
to deliver you from those areas of sin that are offensive to him and to bring you. And he's constantly working. to, to He's predestined for you to be conformed to the image of his son. And he's doing that work, and he must do that work. He's our God and Savior. And so we put our trust in him. Without the law, there's no conviction of sin. Self-righteous dependence on works is false security. And we can try and, and, and motivate ourselves, and, and we can do the Peter thing that though all of these deny you, I will not deny you. And I think I can, I think I can, and you will fail every time. Because it's in the nature of our flesh for that failure. It's in the nature of Adam, in one way or the other, to, to fail. Uh, and, and it couldn't get there. It's, it's like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we can reach for it, but we can never attain it. Not in the strength or the energy of our flesh. Only in the salvation that has been granted to us in Christ Jesus. External conformity does not tend to hidden lust. Okay, so, you know, there may be some behavior modification in your life with certain things. And maybe you're uh, having a tr- uh, issues with alcoholism or, or drugs or something like that. And isn't it interesting? I've seen in, in many testimonies um, where a, a drug addict... Um, is immediately delivered upon his salvation from from his habit. Uh, I mean, God just miraculously does that. But then you can see that same person, and he may struggle with some area, other area of sin for years and years and years. You say, well, why doesn't God just deliver him? And I've thought about this for a long time. Why doesn't God just deliver him from, from those other areas? Why does God not do that? And... To me, the, the answer has to be that God is teaching each one of us through this process of sanctification what it means to depend upon Him. Because remember that Jesus prayed that we would be one with Christ. That we would be, uh, He prayed, Jesus prayed that we would be one with the Father, with He and the Father. And, and what does that mean? Well, it means that, that, we, that He is the vine and we're the branches and we're, we must be attached to Him. We must be dependent upon Him. We must draw our life from Him. We must know the fruit of God's Spirit and the work of God's Spirit in our lives and not the energy of our flesh or the power of of what we as individuals can do before God. That's self-righteousness. But the righteousness of Christ is a gift of God. It's a wonderful thing. Now I thought about this and just the other day, um, where is Ken? He's here. Um, but the other day at, at our, our place, um, there was uh, uh, Ken hollered at me outside and went out on the, the back patio the, in, the, in the court area. And I just got there just in time to see the tail of this snake that went down through one of the holes in the steps uh, that comes off of our carport area and down on the courtyard. And um, and so I said, no, that's not a coral snake. He said, it's a coral snake. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I got to thinking, well, I better check that out because it's on our steps and that kind of thing. So I did the, the West Texas thing with the, uh, the rattlesnake roundup. The, the way that those cowboys out there would, would round up those rattlesnakes is they would pour gas down the hole. So I got some gasoline poured down the hole. Well, sure enough, this coral snake, I mean, he just popped out of there. And, I mean, he was, he was not a happy camper. Um, but he was provoked. And, and that's the idea. He was, he was safely tucked away. And, uh, and, and, uh, but the, the, the character and the nature of that thing, when it came up out of the hole and, and he was angry, uh, that was provoked by that gasoline. And that's the same way that the law is with our sin. It provokes it. It it brings it about and brings us to conviction of that because you can't deny it uh, when it's been provoked uh, by the sin. The state of complacency with sin, uh, where we have have stayed away from the big overt sin, uh, sometimes we have compromised 
and hidden those attitudinal sins and covert sins, haven't we? Isn't that true? It's it's the state of complacency, just like like the uh, uh, the coral snake in the hole, uh, you know, until he's provoked and it's brought out uh, and dealt with. But isn't it gracious of our Lord Jesus that he doesn't do it all at once? Uh, because we would be overwhelmed, wouldn't we? If I had to look at all of my these areas of sin and all of these compartments of my life, and and God brought them down and He brought that full conviction down, it would just it would overwhelm us. And so, in His mercies, He He takes us through. Scripture says that He He does not tempt us above that we're we're able to stand, but will with that temptation provide a way of escape. And he, he very gently deals with you as, as, his, as his flock. He tends to you and cares for you as he, uh, as he works, as he's predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we're so far from him. We're so far from the image of our Lord Jesus. And yet that's the, the declared purpose of God, to, to, to make us like his son and, and to build those those characteristics in us. And that's integrity, it's honor, it's, it's the glory and, and goodness of God displayed in the people of God because the hand of God is upon us and the work that he's doing is being uh, displayed. And he's left us here rather than, than removing us from all of this sin and all of this hardship. He's left us here that we might prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't that glorious? He has a purpose for you. His purpose is to to glorify Jesus Christ through you so that the world may see that there's hope, that there's a way, that there's a path out of all of this futility, out of all of this vanity, out of all of this hardship. And the hardships come because God wants to divorce us from these things here. He wants to divorce us from all of these things that we attach to and that we, that we simply ignore uh, in, in light of who God is and in light of the fact that he created you in the image, in his own image, that we might reflect, that we might uh, glorify God, that men might see our good works and glorify our, our Father in heaven. That's his, his will for you. And it's in his tenderness that he's dealing with you in whatever areas of sin and whatever uh, place in uh, sanctification uh, that you're dealing with and that God is dealing with in your life. He, he, he tenderly uh, desires to do those things. And in his mercy, he doesn't overwhelm us, but he, he takes us along at the rate that we can go uh, before him with. But remember that God says... I will honor those who honor me. Uh, there's honor, there's glory for us uh, as we walk in the light of God's truth and as we, uh, as we seek Him and as we, we lay ourselves before Him and, and give ourselves into His hand and, and simply say, God, do what you want to and need to do in my life to make me what you want for me to be. You do it, God, because I can't do it. But God will do it. But our attitude of our heart should be as such, that I trust you, Lord. I trust you to do this work in my life. I understand uh, that I'm so far away from, from the character and nature and person of my Lord Jesus, and I want to be near. I want to draw near to him. So do that work. And it's going to be, he'll convict us of areas of sin in your life, and it'll be painful. It won't feel good, but it's the right path. It's the right thing uh, to choose and to go to. So, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive. The idea is there. It came to life. Just like that coral snake popped out of that hole. Uh, I mean, it comes to life. And, and we find that, that, that the reality of that sin uh, springs to life. Uh, when the law comes into effect. And then, uh, fourth point, when the commandment comes, our conscience brings death. So, wow, we're convicted of sin, and it brings death. 
uh, it brings us to that place. The scripture says to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. And in that defilement, there's a place to go. Uh, There's a place for rest. There's a place uh, where we may know the goodness of, of God and his mercies and God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So uh, I just want to make a couple of points here, and this is outside your notes, so you want to jot these down. But I want to make the point here that spiritual death um, does not mean annihilation. Okay? So when we're talking about sin and, uh, and, and the idea of spiritual death, uh, the conscience, uh, it brings uh, this distressed experience uh, and that dis- distressed experience is very much our consciousness of that spiritual separation from a holy God. So uh, making the point that, that the second death, the spiritual death, does not mean uh, annihilation. It does not mean unconsciousness. And physical death is a different mode of existence like a grain of wheat as, as metamorphosizes uh, so will the resurrection be. Uh, so just some extra little thought there uh, from the passage that, and things that we can gather from it. Look at verse 10 then. Uh, and this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result <clears throat> in death for me. So, the, uh, you know, one of the, the points that we want to make <clears throat> here is that uh, the law results in death. Okay, so uh, the law reveals sin, uh, the law provokes sin, the law convicts of sin, uh, and, and the law results in death. And that's spiritual death. And, and all sin is death. Uh, we commit a sin, it's death. It, it, there's uh, the spiritual aspect and nature of it is separation from God, it breaks fellowship with God. You're a believer, you commit a sin, your fellowship with God is broken. And God has made a way. We confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive that sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. But the realities are that all sin brings death. It brings separation from a holy God. And and God has made a way in Christ Jesus for us to restore that fellowship. Uh, But there's also consequences that go with sin, right? The consequences of the death that goes with any sin that we commit is that it spreads death, spiritual death. It's, it's just it's the nature of it. It's always the nature of it. We can't commit a sin without it causing death. Okay, got it? Believer, unbeliever, doesn't matter. You commit a sin, death goes with it, the consequences of it. It follows, and, and there's that aspect. God's grace... He heals us, he delivers us, but sin creates the consequence of death. That's the bottom line. So we ought to fear. We ought to fear God, and we should pray and should seek God and watch and pray that we enter not into temptation. We should pray that God leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil constantly. Oh, it should be our daily prayer as God's people. Okay, so here we see that the uh, the law results in sin, and the commandment uh, results in death instead of life. Look at uh, verse 11 there. For sin taking opportunity uh, through the commandment deceived me, and through it it killed me. So the commandment results in death instead of life, And then we find in in Acts 15, uh, verses 5 and 10, but some of the sect of the Pharisees, and I think this is really the heart of what the Apostle Paul is addressing here, who had believed stood up. Now, these are the Judaizers, uh, some of the Judaizers, and, and some of these of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, these are believers, they stood up, and this is in Acts chapter 15 when Paul is addressing uh, this issue of the law and the the, the uh, apostles are gathered together and they're making judgment about what the, the Gentiles should do in regard to the law, what it means to not be under the law. 
Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. They wanted to put them back under the law. Okay. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Okay. What does he mean? He means that the, the law provoked sin, the law uh, revealed that sin, the law brought conviction of that sin, but the law could not deliver them from sin could not live the, uh, the Christian life that we're supposed to live in Christ Jesus through, the, through following the, the dictates of the law. And so uh, these Pharisees, these Judaizers, were shut down in Acts chapter 15. And may we put them to rest? Okay? Because we struggle, don't we? Because we want to go back to the law. We want to see some practical parameters that are going to keep me on track and so that I don't experience the, those consequences of death that comes with sin. You know, I need some parameters. I need to, to see uh, some way to walk in such a way that I can avoid those things. And we constantly go back to that and, and, and look to that as, as a, a, some, uh, something that we can lay hold of and grab hold of what we need to lay hold of is the Lord Jesus. We need to lay hold of, of His faithfulness. And we need to lay hold of that personal and intimate relationship that He intended in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So essential for us. There's life. There's life in Christ Jesus. There's deliverance in Christ Jesus. There's freedom in Christ Jesus. So looking again at verse 11, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, it killed me. There's two things there. Uh, look, at, sin established a base of operation to deceive and slave. That's the nature of sin. It wants to kill. It, it, it wants to, first of all, deceive us and then to slay us. And this is a different word, you know. Usually it's thanatos, but this is a, is a different word that's used here, and it means to slay you. I mean, it wants to kill you. And that's the nature of Satan. It's the nature of the devil. Uh, and his deceptive nature, he wants to kill. And he's, he's a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And his objective is to kill you. He wants to slay you. And our enemy is very great. Um, so James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. This is the, the fruition of deceit. Okay, So the deceit is there. And one is tempted, he's carried away by his own lust. And the lust says, I think I can get away with this without too, the consequences being too bad. And maybe it won't be so bad. And, uh, and so then lust is conceived in our heart. That, that it's, it's birth there. Uh, and then later on it gives birth to that sin. To something that we thought, and that's why the scripture says, cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God wants for us to, to take hold of those things and win the battle by casting down those imaginations, those high things, because that's the battleground for Satan. He wants to feed you those things that will destroy your life. Okay, sin deceives because sin falsely promises satisfaction. It's a lie. It promises you something that it cannot deliver, and it will not deliver. Believe the Lord. And then secondly, it claims an adequate excuse. There's always an adequate excuse for for, uh, for Do you remember Eve? She said, well, and she looked and she saw that the fruit was, was pleasing to the eyes and found that it was good to the taste. There was some pleasure in that sin, uh, but it was, it was uh, you know, this, this false claim of an adequacy, uh, an adequate excuse. And then finally, uh, promises a, a, an escape from punishment. 
you know, I can get by with this without it costing me too much. And it's a lie. And it will deceive you and it will slay you every time. That's the nature of sin. Look at verse 12 then. Uh, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Uh, well, that's a wonderful, wonderful uh, truth and, and principle for us. Uh, the law is holy. Uh, it exposes the sin that causes death. Uh, the commandment is holy and, and righteous. The law is, is holy there. Um, and then uh, as well that the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I have a verse here that I wanted to uh, share with you. Um, it is in First Timothy chapter one, verses eight through eleven. Uh, you'll have to turn there in your scripture. I don't have this one on the PowerPoint for you this morning, but it reads: "But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully." Okay. So here's the Apostle Paul speaking in another context. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. So you got the lawless people, those that are unbelievers, but you also have uh, rebellious people. Uh, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. So what does, sin, what does uh, the law do with sin? Well, it convicts. It brings them to the realization that they're under that penalty. The wages of your sin is death. And there's conviction that should uh, come and comes through the law. So uh, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And we'll go to verse 13 there, men. Um, Therefore, did that which is good become a cause? Okay, so it, it takes off with this idea of holy and righteous and good, right? So in verse 13, he's bringing a conclusion. you got a therefore. So he's concluding something. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So what's Paul's conclusion? The law is good. And, and so we can, we can uh, and I think, you know, it's appropriate. It's, it, you see people share the gospel and say, well, have you ever uh, lusted after a woman in your heart? Have you ever... Uh, hated someone? Well, Jesus said that that is uh, a violation of this, of, and it's a sin. Uh, that uh, again, the the word, the law convicts. It brings knowledge to the rebellious and to the lawless that uh, that this is sin before a holy Creator, and it brings conviction to us, uh, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Okay, so again, the point here is that the law exposes sin. The law exposes sin. The law is good and it shines the light upon the sin that causes our death. Um, so uh, Galatians 3.21 reads, uh, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Uh, far be far from it. That's again the meganoita, the same same uh, phrase that's used here uh, in verse seven. For if the law had been given that was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based upon the law. But it's not. It's not because what is it based upon? The law of faith. The law of faith in the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, both in in justification and in sanctification. It's the, that law <clears throat> that is necessary for us. And we want to grow. We, you know, What's the thing that we need? We need to grow in faith. We need to grow in, uh, in that relationship, that personal relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ. 
whereby uh, we know the freedom and the liberty that can only be found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so a fourth point here, uh, the commandment diagnoses our terminal condition uh, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. The law reveals sin. It provokes sin. It convicts of sin. It exposes sin. The law results in death. That's the nature of the law. Uh, it is good. Okay, you say, well, how's that? <laughs> you know, None of that sounds good to me. Uh, but... Uh, it is good because it's necessary, and it's it's the necessary process that brings us to the realization that we need a Savior. You need the Lord Jesus. You need the Lord Jesus to be in your heart and in your life. You need the Lord Jesus uh, to save you and deliver you from who we are in Adam. And God, uh, in his great mercies, has done that. Matthew 7, 20 through 23, Jesus was speaking uh, in regard to the Pharisees in regard to his, his men uh, there because they were going through the field and taking this corn and they didn't wash their hands, so they were violating the laws. And, <clears throat> and Jesus, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of the mouth of man um, that which goes into the mouth of man does not defile the man. But here he says, but that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these evil things proceed from within and defile the men. Okay? And that's mankind, right? I mean, that's what's, what we have to deal with. That's what Christ dealt with on the cross of Calvary for you. I love this tattoo. I, I might get one. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't believe in them. Okay? But here we have, from the heart, we, we have the, the issue of sin. In, in the man's heart is, is sin. Uh, and, and what springs out of it is exactly what's uh, explained in this verse. Uh, what springs out of it are these different sins. And it's, they're listed there. Fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting. It goes on and on. All of these different things spring out of the sin nature that is in each one of us. That's, that's, they're there. And to acknowledge it is the first step in receiving that grace and, and the need for our salvation in Jesus Christ and the essential nature of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us. So that's a conclusion uh, in the middle of chapter 7 of our studies of Romans for this year. So... I hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that God's Word uh, takes that root in your life in, in such a, a way uh, that you may know um, uh, the fullness of Christ's work, the fullness of what He did for you on the cross of Calvary. Let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty God, we pray that we might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of our own derived from the law, but that righteousness which comes uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from You on the basis of faith. Thank You, Lord, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I pray for Your people. I pray for this congregation, Lord. And I pray for myself that we would not abuse your laws as the antinomian on the one hand, nor that we would abuse it on the other hand as a Pharisaic legalist, but that we might uh, respect the goodness of your law and those things that you've spoken through the law, but not put ourselves under it. 
Thank you that you've called us to liberty and help us not to use our liberty for an occasion for the flesh, but that we may love and serve one another in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks that you have not dealt with us after our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. It is to our Lord Jesus that all glory, praise, and honor belong. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is our Lord Jesus to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And we give praise to you. We give praise to our Lord Jesus who has been given a name above every name. We bow our knees to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and the Prince of Peace. You are worthy, Lord Jesus, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You uphold all things by the word of your power, and you have purified us from our sins. We confess that you are Lord, uh, and it's to your glory uh, and and uh, for uh, from the Lord Jesus and through our Lord Jesus and to our Lord Jesus are all things. Uh, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.